Thursday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That can only mean one thing. Time for Ask Chuck Bowser RCDD. After Hours Live, where you could ask your favorite ICT design, installation, certification, estimation, project management, and career path questions. We answer all of those. Answer all of those. Live on TikTok, live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, eventually Instagram. I'll get around to it. I keep forgetting to do it when I'm not doing my normal stuff. You know, it's Christmas. Guess what Chuck bought himself for Christmas? No, I know you're thinking. A new fusion splicer, right? No. No, I don't have five grand to drop on a fusion splicer. But if if if, uh, if UCL Swift or American Insultech is listening, I will be happy, happy, happy to to take a fusion splicer and, and take it with me to my live meetups and stuff and teach people how to use it. I'd be happy to do that. I'm doing it now anyway. You know, it'd be nice if I had the equipment. No, no, no. That's not what I got myself. I bought myself the 2023 edition of the NEC. (laughs) Yay, new code book. Yes. You're not excited? Come on now. Come on now. You know, you know, if if you're going to come to me with code questions, you know I need to have the right answer. And oh, by the way, if you're listening to this in the Atlanta area, Marietta to be precise, there's going to be another FOA course there held, taught by my good friend, Lee Renfro. So make sure you check that out. Um, great certification to have. You can never have too many certifications, right? Um, so somebody asked a great question here before I get too far along. How often is the NEC revised? The CEC is revised every three years for a new edition. The NEC is the same, although I think the NEC and the CEC are on different years. Um, What's the latest one for the CEC, Michael? Um, The 2023 is the latest for the NEC. So it's revised every three years. Now, just because it's revised every three years doesn't mean it goes into effect. See, I was teaching a class just the other day, and and I read this right out of the code book. The code book is considered advisory as far as the NFPA is concerned until it's adopted by the local authority having jurisdiction. Once it's adv- once it's adopted by them, then it becomes law. Law, right? So when you look at the map of the NEC, there's only, I think, when I looked at the map just at the beginning of this week, there's only 27 states, again, this is the U.S., uh, the only 27 states that are operating out of the 2020 code book. So now that the 2023 got published in January, no, November, you'll start seeing the 2023 pop up. It seems to me about three to four states a month pop up for as far as adopting the new code book. Very good. <laughs> Henry says a splice trailer. All of that would be cool, wouldn't it? I could do a splice trailer, go around, and do my live meetups. I got a truck to pull it. I got an F-350, right? I got an F-350. Yeah, I, yep. Oh, Michael says they are currently in the 2021. I thought I thought I thought the NEC and the CEC was off a little bit there. I, I thought I remember reading it somewhere before. So I would love, love to have that uh um 
that that uh, splice trailer, by the way. So just saying. Now, let's see, uh, before we get too much further along, let's go and answer this question here from TikTok. Question, what information do you have to give a customer when finishing a project? Oh, that is a great question. So the first answer to that's going to be, what are you contractually obligated to provide that customer? Okay. Let's assume, let's assume that there is nothing, there's no, there's nothing in the contract that says they want any kind of project closeout documents. At minimum, I would do a final walkthrough with them and document that they they agree that everything's perfect and fine and sign off on that. I would also give them a copy of the test results. We had I've had this conversation many, many times. Many times, right? Do you certify cable or not certify cable? Yes, you always certify cable. Whether you charge to deliver it or not, it's a different story, but you should always certify. So at minimum, you want to do a final walkthrough, and at minimum, give them the test results. Now, some customers in their contracts are going to stipulate that you have to give them as-builds and and red lines. So whatever contract you're obligated to do, Give it to them, but again, at least the test results. Um, and the, and the, the the key thing is get them to sign off that they accept the project as being one hundred percent complete to their satisfaction. That way you can get paid. Okay, that, that way you can get paid. Great question, by the way. Who who asked me that? I can't read that. The print's too small. Now the next one I have is um, I want to talk about a comment that I got on my TikTok feed a couple of days back, three, four, five days back. And I, I made a comment. I made, I did a post about training or something or another. And Tyler Alarms, he responded to me on Instagram. And he said, your average contractor is not teaching the new guys anymore. The average technician is not even trying to educate themselves. LOL. Just because, just do what the boss says. And as long as that's fine, who cares? Now, there is a lot of truth in that statement, a lot of truth in that statement. You know, if a company doesn't invest in its most valuable resource, the employees, it's doomed, doomed, I tell you, to eventually fail. So what are some of the benefits of training your staff? You know, when the economy takes a downturn, like we're currently getting ready to hit or already hitting, depending on your point of view, the first thing most companies get rid of is training when they need it the most. They need it the most. That's when you need your, your, your staff to work uniformly and efficiently the most. But yet that's when they typically are going to get rid of it. So companies that do training, number one, it's going to improve the skills and the knowledge of their technicians, right? Of their technicians. They're going to get their job done quicker. They're going to get, they're going to be more competitive when they go to bid out that kind of stuff. And that makes the price a little bit cheaper, right? So being more efficient at your job. It's also going to make sure it helps that your technicians can help resolve difficult situations on their own instead of having to reach out to a supervisor. Because when you reach out to somebody, the number one, it disrupts what they're doing. And then then they got to go back to what they're doing. It's just a disruption to everybody. So if you train your people, they're able to handle those tough situations. It's also, by training, is a great foundation for greater responsibilities, right? Employees will make more money. 
and the company gets to charge more money for those employees to make more money. So it's, it's a good thing all around. But not all employees are motivated by money. We were talking about this just the other day. Some technicians, yeah, everybody wants everybody wants to earn a reasonable wage and, and be able to pay for the family, right? But some some technicians, to them, more important than money is recognition, recognition. And yet, that's the easiest and the simplest thing that you can do. All you got to do is when you go out, is show that you care. Technicians want people to come out and look at their jobs, and they want them to look at them and say, "Great job." Great job. But yet it's one of the most things that we often miss. It's a huge opportunity. And what does it cost? What does it cost to recognize a stellar employee? And we miss that opportunity. Some technicians like to have titles, right? They want to be the the uh, the senior technician inside plant, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Okay. Give them a title. And some technicians value certificates, training. I, I'm, I gotta admit, I'm kind of one of those. I love, I love procuring certificates. I just do, right? And when you give the company, when you give your technicians training, it shows that employee that they are valued, valued. Again, that really helps build in the cohesiveness of a team that feels like they have ownership in their decisions, ownership in the direction of the company. They feel like they're a part of a team. You know, there's a quote out there. It's a tribute to Peter Drucker. I'm not sure if he's the one who actually said it or not. I've seen it in memes before. But it basically think it says is, if you think training is expensive, try ignorance. Yeah, yeah. If you think training is expensive, try ignorance. Again, in the tough economic times like we're often facing right now, again, training is cut out first. And, and I've never, never understood it. And the reason for that is because it's hard to calculate the soft cost of benefits of a training program. You know, if you if you go out and get a brand new uh, a tester and that tester tests cables, you know, in half the time of the test that you have now, that's easy to calculate. You do that, you, you figure out what that number is, multiply by the number of cables you test by your labor rate. And you say, well, look, we save X amount of dollars. Training is not that easy. The soft cost of benefits is really hard to calculate. And training doesn't always have to be expensive. You don't always have to send somebody out to go to a training course, right? You don't. Somebody's asking to join. Catch me after this. I'm I'm right in the middle on a roll here. So I'm going to close that, decline that. There we go. It's not always expensive. Training doesn't have to be expensive. Probably the simplest training is OJT, on-the-job training. You know, kind of like the kind of training when somebody first comes on board. Right. And we we're training them in the processes. We might be training them in the stuff that they're doing. Right. Why not continue that? Why not continue that? And one of my biggest pet peeves, cross training, cross training. Now, how does that how does that how does that show up? Take some every once in a while, take somebody from the office and let them run with a crew for a week. Take somebody off the crew for a week and put them in the office. So that way you understand the challenges that each of those other people have. Right. Oh, that's great. Daryl says, leaders train, bosses refuse to. Love that. Love that. Right? Another way you can cross train. There's a big divide between copper technicians and fiber technicians. Right? Why not cross train them? 
When when the copper crew is running slow, send one guy into the office and the other guy to run with the fiber crew. If the fiber team's slow, break them up. Put one guy with the copper crew. Put one guy in the office. Have one guy run with the project manager. Have one guy run with an estimate. Cross train. It really all it really costs a company is the salary. It's not like you're paying two thousand dollars for a class and then travel for someone to go there. It's cross train. It's one of the easiest ways. Another cheap way of training is mentoring. Mentoring. Now, mentoring can be as little as an hour a week or an hour a month. Create your own mentoring program. There's lots of books out there to teach how to do that. Or better yet, Bixie has a phenomenal mentoring program. Join it. Join it. You can do in-house training, right? You could do is a you can hold a voluntary training event once a month. Say, look, come on in on uh, on a Friday afternoon, Friday after work, a Saturday, whatever, and I'm going to teach everybody how to terminate fusion splicing. I'm going to teach everybody how to do a 66 block, 110 block, whatever. What you pick it. And then if you have problems getting people, give them incentives. Look, if you come in, if you come in on a voluntary training day, and you you attend all four. You'll get an extra whatever percentage bonus. You'll get an extra percentage jump in your next pay raise, right? I did a project in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a, a call center. Went down there. It was, I don't remember how many seats it was. It was a ton of seats. I've talked about this call center before. So when I got there, we were, we were determining all the voice cabling was going to be terminated on 66 blocks. And there was there was three or four people on the crew who never terminated a 66 block before. So what I did was one day after work was I found an old cable spool, you know, one of the big riser spools. It was five feet tall. And I brought it over to the trailer. I stood it up. I mounted some 66 blocks and I taught them how to terminate a 66 block. Again, nothing but time. You can even do personal study, right? Give them a copy of the, if it's a, somebody's going to be doing estimating or something, Give them a, a copy of the telecom distributions methods manual. It doesn't have, if you got one floating around the office, that's that's fine. You don't have to go buy them one. If they're a technician, give them a copy of the it's a manual. If they want to be in project management, give them a copy of the uh, the project Bixie's project management manual. Right now, here's the thing though: you don't just give them that book. You got to put some structure around that. Right, you got to give some structure. Right, so you got to tell them: look, you got to read through this. And you got to be done reading it by whatever date. You pick the date. You know, what, you know your schedule better than I do. You got to get it done by this time. And then when you get done, then there'll be a short little exam. A friend of mine, who I know through Low Voltage Nation, has a contracting company up in Pennsylvania, is doing this exact thing with one of his employees. Right? And you can also, you don't have to necessarily pick between any one of those. You can do a blended training program, right? Combine all of them. One of the I mentioned many times, my brother also works in communications. He works for Vision Technologies. Vision Technologies, they got it right. They got it down pat. They train their people. They got a Bixie certified lab. Uh, Kirk, I, I know him personally, although I've never met him face to face, but we've communicated many, many times. Um, they value training for this very reason. right? Now, there's great, a lot of great benefits. When it comes to training employees, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to increase productivity. It's going to increase performance, right? That's going to make you more competitive for bids. That's 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 easy to do. 
But another benefit is it's going to give you uniformity of work processes. If everybody's doing the same work the same way, that means when a crew comes over to help another crew, they can get up to speed efficiently and quickly because they know the process. And you only get this by training, by training, right? It's going to reduce wastage on projects, wastage on projects, right? That means less waste. It means it means more profits. It's going to reduce the supervision. Oh, that's a great one right there. You, you can have one supervisor to more employees, and it will also boost the morale of your people. Okay, you know the technician who who doesn't invest in themselves will uh, will not progress in their career. Period, and, and that's just the name of that one. The next question. This one comes from uh, a question from last week, and I I am totally sorry, but I forgot who it was that sent me this question. I, last week I did that. I did the I invited everybody on, right? And a couple of people came on, and one of the guys that came on was asking me a question about how to calculate the number of sleeves that a, that a building is going to need, right? And if for those who are following along in your TDMMs. This information is found on uh, um, 4-44 in the TDMM, the, the new new TDMM, for page 411 on the PDFs, right? Um, Dave Daryl says, I'm always training, and to those that refuse, refuse it are the slowest to advance. Oh, true. I hear, you know, here's another one. I forgot to mention this. When you train somebody, it makes you sharper because you learn from training. It reminds you of things that you might have forgotten. So there's benefits to training as well. It's not just a benefit just to the trainee. It's also a benefit to the trainer. Okay. All right. That's enough training. Let's get on to the next one. Anyway, so the question was asked about uh, how, how to determine how many sleeves to put in a building. So the TDMM tells us to start off with a minimum of four 103 millimeter or four trade size sleeves as a starting point. And then add one sleeve for each 40,000 feet of usable square footage. So if you got a building that's 40,000 square feet, that's going to be four sleeves plus one. If it's 40,000, 80,000, that's going to be four sleeves plus two. If it's going to be 80,000 to 120,000 square feet, that's going to be four sleeves plus three. Okay, pretty simple, pretty easy. Next question, question number three. This comes from Monique, and she sent this to me in an email. Says I am installing a direct buried cable splice next week. Can I use compressed air from my portable air compressor? So first off, let me start off with what is direct buried and what is underground. Underground is when you dig a trench, you put a conduit in that trench or a duct bank system in the trench, and then you cover that up. The cable's inside the conduit. Direct buried means you dig a trench and the cable goes in the hole, and then you cover it up. So the cable actually touches the soil. So quite often you will find. Uh, outside plant cables that are filled with compressed air. Well, not compressed air. Compressed air contains moisture, it contains oil, and it has suspended fine particles, which over a period of time can cause the insulation of the actual conductor to deteriorate and eventually cause opens and grounds and shorts and, and even cause the resistance imbalances. So you should never use Never use compressed air. You should use you should use one of two things. You should either use a filtered, dried, compressed air, which you can get from AirCore outside plant. Very good, Denton. Yes, you should be using filtered, dried, compressed air, which you can typically pick up from your local welder store. But the best option for outside plant is nitrogen. 
nitrogen. Now, nitrogen is best because it, it's, it's anhydrous. Anhydrous means it's free of water. As a matter of fact, that is the Bixie best practice recommendation is to use nitrogen. Now, I will tell you this. When you get done doing that, or actually before you finish the project, you want to make sure that you um, that you do your flash test on that enclosure, right? Make sure that it's not leaking out of uh, out of any of the gaskets or the grommets, right? Make sure everything's sealed, and then do that. Okay, question number four. This comes from Harry. Says, "Help me settle a debate. What is the smallest size available? What is the smallest size conductor available in American wire gauge?" You know, I think the smallest that I'm aware of is 36 AWG, 36 AUG, right? Or 5 mil. Conversely, the largest is 4 aught, right? One, uh, one, one, um, one mil is equal to 0.0254. I've got this in my notes right here, 0.0254. And that's kind of what it goes up to. So, But most horizontal cabling typically is going to range between 22 and 24 gauge. Most of them are going to be placed in the 23 to the 24 gauge range. Okay, there you go. Alrighty, let's switch over to the comments that we got during the answering those questions. Where are my blind man glasses? Do, do, do. Here they are, way over here. Alrighty, so let's look at some of the questions. Alrighty, so it was there. Alrighty, demarcation point, fiber demarcation, floor distributor, yep. Uh, YouTube's a little behind. Yeah, Splice Trailer answered that already. Do, 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 do. TJ is in the house. Hey, TJ, how you doing, my friend? Man, I love your barbecue stuff that you put out there sometimes. Uh, let me see. Ed, the old tech guy's chiming in here. He says, I ask for shares in the company. I care. Mine are own part. Of oh, absolutely. It's a great way of doing it. I used to work for a company that did that. Um, if you were there for, I think, five years, you could get a, a part ownership in the company. Uh, Michael says he does, uh, does a weekly mentoring program at no cost for the apprentice technicians. Something I am passing along for my mentor. Great. Absolutely. Great idea. I always challenge because you know, I, got, I do my RCD study groups and I always challenge my people in my groups when they get the RCDD, how are you going to pay this forward? How are you going to pay this forward? Are you going to participate in a, in a, in a, in a group that helps write one of the manuals? Or are you going to participate in the study group? Are you going to participate in a mentoring group? Always, always, always pay it forward. Always. All right. I appreciate everybody stopping by today. Uh, Michael, you're you're great guy to come by. TJ, glad to see you again, my friend. Ed, the old tech guy. Bill Lance. Henry Yates, always glad to see you. Can't wait for you to come back down to Tampa, my friend. All righty. That's all I have unless anybody else said anything else to say. No? Okay. Until next time, remember, knowledge is power. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.